Hey again, super good to be with you, those of you in the room, those of you joining online. I just say to you, if you're online and you've still kind of been processing a little bit, uh, you can still text that number, still love to have an opportunity to pray for you and just um, be, be with you in that. And again, uh, thanks for uh, just I- I your openness. Um, I-, I don't know why you come to church. I- honestly, I don't, I don't know why everybody comes to church, um, b- but we, we gather to get chances to meet collectively with Jesus. And so uh, if you're in on that, uh, then, I, then I hope we've been able to experience that together some this morning. And uh, as, as we continue this, this series, God So Loved, I mean, you, you know that everything we experience, right, starts with the fact that God so loved. I mean, we're, we're kind of doing a Christmas series, but you know, that's like a 52-weeker, right? Like that's a, everything we do is it comes out of this reality that God so loved that he gives us these opportunities uh, to be with him, to connect with him individually, but also to, co- to connect with him and be impacted by him collectively and in, in, in with some togetherness. And so I love, I just love having a chance uh, to be a part of that uh, with you. Um, I think there's even some of you who, uh, somebody right now is kind of on your mind. You're even thinking about somebody who you wish was with you in this moment and you need to text them, or you need to do what people have done in the past, and you need to leave as soon as we're done and go show up at their house and invite them to get here at 11, um, which literally, that has been done. People have done that before. And um, just they're on your mind, and they're on your mind for a reason. And there's just something that for whatever God, God wants to do to bring them, to minister to them, and we want to just capture it for all that it's, all that it's worth. And that includes uh, looking at this most famous conversation. We, we started looking at it a little bit last week uh, where there's probably the most famous conversation in all of the Bible. Uh, one that, again, if, even if you're uh, new to the Bible or haven't get, read the Bible at all or whether you've been in the Bible your entire life, uh, you, you've probably heard of, of some portion of this conversation, maybe even if you didn't know it was necessarily in the Bible, but it's a conversation between Jesus and a really significant religious leader of the day uh, who is doing his best to, to try and protect the religious system that he thinks gets him towards God, but he's very curious about the person of Jesus because Jesus is doing some things he's never seen before and teaching in a way that he has never heard. And in the context of that conversation comes maybe the most famous verse inside the scripture, the most famous verse inside the scripture. It's John 3.16. And here's what I'd love for you to do. If you've got a Bible, like a copy of the Bible, or if you've got it on a device or whatever, even if you think you know it so well, can I just invite you to put your eyes on it this morning? So unlock a device and get there. Uh, you may want to jot some notes, highlight some things. If you're a note taker or whatever else, again, we're just going to look in a fresh way. I think God's got a word for you today to help us see not just the knowledge of John 3.16, but the influence and the experience of John, the the life and breath of John 3.16 a little bit. So glad you're here to to just kind of absorb that together. John 3.16, again, maybe, maybe the most famous uh, sentence of all of the scriptures, of all 66 books, pulled together in what we have is the scriptures. Uh, I want to do something we don't do very often. Often I will ask you, hey, will you just say this word with me or these two words? I actually want to invite you to just read this entire sentence with me out loud. Could we just read this entire sentence? It'll be on the screen if you're here in the room or even online. It'll be kind of on the lower third of your screen there. And even online, just read it out loud from wherever you're from, your couch or the deck where you're watching or uh, whatever it is. And let's just read this out loud together. John 3.16, here we go. Let's read it together. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, 
but have eternal life. You might have said it before. You might have memorized it at some point. You might have locked it in. If you grew up in the church as a kid, you might have even gotten a badge of some kind for it, okay? If, if you didn't, here's the thing. Again, Max Lucado uh, is an author who's written, I, I don't know how many books, maybe 50 books or something by now. And he writes this great statement about John 3.16. He says, and I, and I just believe this in my heart, if you're new to the Bible or never read any part of the Bible, start here. If you've been reading the Bible your entire life and you think you know everything there is to know, return here. This is very much a center point. And it starts, right, Nicodemus, this religious leader, having this conversation with Jesus. And Nicodemus is asking the question, like, how, how do I experience this kingdom that you're talking about and that I actually see being expressed on the earth right in front of me? How do I actually experience that? Because I know a lot about God. I mean, I know a lot. Nicodemus would have won any like Bible trip. If there was jeopardy for Bible only, Nicodemus was going to be the winner, okay? Every time. He, he knew this stuff. He was a leader in it. And yet he sees Jesus introducing a kingdom that Nicodemus isn't experiencing himself. And so he wants to know, like, how do I actually experience this? And Jesus begins to have this conversation with him. And it, it lands in the statement of, look, to really experience life, to be made new, to, to have your spirit come alive, not just your mind know something, but your spirit come alive, you, you, you got to know this Jesus. And the way you know this Jesus is to understand that God so loved, God so, lo- God so loved you, Nicodemus. God so loved you. God so loved you. Nicodemus could have put his name in there. You could put your name in there. You, like you, the name of you, the person of you. God so loved you. It all starts with God's love and the movement of his love. And his love compels this generosity. Like, it says, for God so loved the world that he, that, that he gave, like he, he gave. And this, this word for gave that, that we read in this, it's really interesting because it carries with it the meaning of offered. It's like he offered. God, God offered his, his son. Do you know, like, real generosity actually has two sides to it. I mean, real generosity is absolutely expressed. Okay, if you, if you take something from somebody and they didn't willingly give it, they weren't being generous, they were being robbed, right? But generosity expressed isn't really generosity fulfilled until it's also generosity received, right? Generosity needs both parts. So yes, God did give, God did give, but it's an offer, it's a here, I'm giving you, I, I love you so much that I am giving to you. I'm offering to you. Now I'm leaving the choice of what you do with the offering up to you. I am leaving that as part of, as part of how people worship, people choose. I'm giving you an offering. I'm offering my generosity to you which changes it a little bit because now all of a sudden, really early in this most famous verse, we realize that we're going to be invited to make some kind of choice to receive an offering or to reject it, to receive the gift or, or reject it, to receive the gift or, or return it after the giver looks away, right? To receive the gift or put it in the re-gift pile because we don't really want it. You know all those wedding gifts you got and you didn't really want them, so you re-gifted them later at your friend's wedding? It's like God's saying, no, I'm offering this to you, but what, what does he offer. Well, there's this really significant little series of words in the middle of this, this little sentence. His one 
and only Son. His one and only, one and only, his one and just the one and only. It, you know, you, you can be generous if you have a lot of something, right? You, you can be generous if you have a lot of something, right? You, you've probably done that to goodwill, right? You got too much of something, something you don't want anymore. And so you just, you can be generous if you've got a lot of something, but it is next level generosity if you don't have much of something. It is one thing to give out of your plenty. It is another thing to give your one and only. Let me make it real practical for us today. I've told you before, I'll tell you again. I really do enjoy LaCroix or Topo Chico or San Pellegrino. I like sparkling water. I really, really do. I mean, I, re I really, really do, okay? If I have a case I have a case of LaCroix, it's 12, or maybe I got a big case, it's 24, right? And you come over to my house, it's really easy for me to give you one of those. Really, I, it's actually pretty easy for me to give you two. I'm not too big to admit the fact that if I'm down to one, I may lie and tell you I'm out. <laughs> it's not the same, right? It's different when you got to give the one, right? If I've got lots of them, that is no big deal. Yeah, here, have a LaCroix. Yep, here, have, yeah, have that. Just take it. Yep. I like peanut M&Ms. If I've got a lot, I'm happy to give you a couple. If I've got one little mini-sized bag, which should have never been invented in the first place, it's not even count. If I'm down to one of those, I may or may not give it to you, right? I like Honey Nut Cheerios. If, if, if you've got some Honey Nut Cheerios, maybe you've got the double box from like Costco or Sam's, you know, like the big double like family size gig, right? You've got that. It might be easy for you to give me a, a bowl of Honey Nut Cheerios. And that's one level of generosity. But if you're down to where there's like crumbs and a couple Cheerios in the bottom of the bag and you still give me, man, if you're down to one and only one, that's a whole different kind of generosity. You see what I'm saying? Like God gives his one and only. There's not another. God, God, God gave one son because he's got one son, which means this. No matter how we feel or how we consider it, no matter what it feels like in a moment, God is not stingy. God doesn't have a stingy bone in his body. God's not cheap. God doesn't know how to give some. God only knows how to give all. Just try that on for a second. God doesn't know how to give you some. He only knows how to give all. He gives, all, he gives his whole son. He gives his son. God doesn't give small. God's not stingy. God's not cheap. God's extreme. God's lavish. God, God gives abundantly even when he only has one. In God giving his one and only, he really went the extra mile in expressing just how much he really does love and just how generous that love really is. 
the one and, the one and only. I mean, I, I, I'm a parent, okay? I, 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 have, I have two kids. I have two daughters. And, and I'm not quick to give either one of them, right? Because each one of them is a one and only. I mean, there's only one Sid. And I just, there's just, she's Sid. And there's only one Ken's. And she's like, she's the, she's Ken. So it's almost not even about how many kids you have. Like God only had one son he gave, but, but you might have 12 kids. And yet they're all uniquely the one that they are, right? And when you think about when you give your one and only of something, it's just a different degree of, of giving. Something deep has to motivate that. God so loved you, was so enamored with you, crazy about you, locked in on you, full of affection for you, that he would give, offer his one and only. His one and only. I mean, Christmas starts right here. This is the beginning, right? His one and only. And then he gives us, he's a son, his one and only son. And, and you kind of wonder like why, right? Like why, why has it got to be his son? Like why does God even need to go that far? Why is he willing to go that, that far? Here's the, here's the beauty of, of the son. Could, could I just let you in on this, that God didn't give his, his son so you and I could get cute nativity stories? Like we kind of inherited some of those, but that's, that wasn't the motive at all. God gave his son because in God giving his son, God's able to give his essence. God like literally gives his DNA. God offers his characteristics, his personality. God offers the very fiber of his, his being. God offers literally an expression of himself. Jesus actually says, I actually came to earth to show you my father because I'm the essence of my father. In fact, I can't even do anything when I'm not with my father. Like I'm, I, I just, everything I do is empowered by my father. It's I do what my father says. So God, the father is giving part of himself and giving the son so that he could give you his essence, his very being. Here, listen, this is so, this is such a big deal. This is where things actually start to change when we begin to understand, oh, this is part of what happens in the Christmas story. Listen, I said, all throughout the scriptures up until this point, there's all these Jewish people who are trying to follow God and they can't get it right, right? They're imperfect just like we're imperfect. Like they, they mess up, they sin, they choose their own way. They act like God is stingy and holding out. So they sin, they live outside of the context God's given to live in relationship with them. And there needs to be forgiveness because where there's sin, there's death. Where there's sin, things shrivel up and die, like our insides die. It's how we end up living separated from God, right? And, and so in order to remedy that, they need a way for forgiveness. So God institutes a, a, an option, a plan of sacrifice. And so what the people would do is, is they would sacrifice these, these, these approved animals. They would sacrifice like, like a goat, or if they couldn't afford that, they'd sacrifice some birds, or they would sacrifice ideally a lamb, a newborn lamb, a perfect lamb, a spotless lamb. And that lamb would, would literally be the symbol of their sin being absorbed, their separation being absorbed. But, but see, the, the lamb was just a lamb. It really was just a four-legged creature. Okay, it was really just a, a, a lamb. The lamb wasn't the essence of God. It wasn't the DNA of God. It wasn't the personality of God. It really was just a lamb. And, and so while... While the lamb could pay the price for a sin, listen to me, the lamb 
couldn't transform a life. The lamb couldn't bring change. The lamb didn't bring difference. The lamb could write a past but couldn't rewrite a future. The lamb could, could, could forgive a past but couldn't author a future. The, the lamb could be the way of forgiveness but could not be the author of a salvation. So Jesus gives his son and his son actually gets called the lamb. His son gets identified as the lamb, the ultimate lamb, the ultimate sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. And it's not because he was a literal four-legged creature, right? It's, it's the symbol of him doing what all of those lambs in the past could do, plus some. Because when God gave his son, he gave forgiveness and he gave his essence. Listen to me. Listen, you can get all the forgiveness you want. You can try all the paths of forgiveness you want. You can try the path of self-forgiveness. You can try the path of other, And all of that matters. But it's the forgiveness of Jesus. It's his essence becoming your essence that actually changes your life. Jesus is the lamb of transformation. The giving of Jesus is so that we could actually live differently. The giving of Jesus is God saying, look, I am so in love with you that I will give the only one I have so that you could actually be different and we could actually be together. I'm not just giving you the boundaries of a relationship anymore. I'm giving you my being so that we are in sync and we're actually one together. Like That's how much God so loved you. He gives his son so that you could be, so that you could be different, so that I could be different, so that you could be forgiven, but be transformed, so that I could be different, but be transformed, so that we could be forgiven, but we could have a future, so that we can be forgiven from our past, but that he could write a future for us. God so loved the world that he would give his one and his only son, because his son is the only one that can actually make the change. Do you understand the generosity of God expressed in Christmas is so much freedom for life. It is a removal of a past system. It is a removal of a past way. And it is the introduction of his all-out presence. It's why Christmas is no small thing. It's why Christmas is no simple, cute little manger with, with some angels. I mean, all of that is true but all of that is a vehicle through which God is bringing the story of his transformation. Listen, here's the, here's the thing, right? Christmas begins, Christmas begins with God's generosity that has transforming power. Christmas begins with God's generosity that has transforming power in your life. Jewish people had lived with hundreds of years of systems and ways that God had designed to attempt to keep them just in step together, but all of it pointing towards the one day coming of his son, all of it pointing, trying to get people's attention to say, look, I'm going to... I'm going to give you a better way. I'm going to complete all of this with my son, with this person of Jesus. And when it happens, people like Nicodemus, who know this past thing and know this system so well, are so deeply ingrained in it, have memorized all of it inside and out, see a Jesus and say, wait a second. 
this guy could actually lead to change in my life. This guy could actually not bring me more to know. He could bring me more to life. He, he could bring me more vibrancy. He could bring me more hope. God loved you so much that he gave the only son he had. And the, and the reason he gave the only son he had is because he gave the only one that could bring real change. He bring the only one that could bring real salvation. He, he gave the only one that could literally free us, not just from the, the weight of sin, but the stickiness of sin, the death of sin, the stuckness of sin, the bondage of sin. He, he gave his son not just to get us some forgiveness on a ledger, but to give us life and give it to us eternally, to, to awaken our spirit and to make us fully in step with him now. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son as this mark of generosity. Listen to me, friends. (laughs) I'm not making it up. I would have trouble giving you my last LaCroix. Just being honest. God gave his son. God gave his son not to introduce a new system, but to introduce a whole new way of living. When you look at the Jesus in a manger in your nativity, when you celebrate Christmas, when you sing happy birthday, Jesus, when we sing a Christmas song, just maybe we would absorb the generosity of God's offer of his son that allows us to live with his essence, with his DNA, that allows us to live being transformed. And see, here's, here's what it invites us into. Here's what God invites us into in that it's really two things. First, it's to, it's to be people who would absorb that, to accept that, be people who would say, I don't want a new system. I don't want a new sacrificial method. I want a person. I want the Jesus who God sent. I want the being. I, I, will, I will take God's offer. I will say yes to God's offer. I am tired of trying to make myself better. I'm tired of trying to independently use a system to get better. I am tired of trying to read hundreds of books on self-improvement. I want a Jesus who's the essence of God alive in me. That's what I'll take. I want that. I will say yes to that generosity. And then the invitation is not just to be an acceptor of the generosity, but a giver of the generosity. Like, where, where does our generosity go from here? How do we keep living generosity in a way that brings transforming power? How do we give our resources towards things that bring transforming power? How do we give our energies and our creativity in ways that bring life-giving, transforming power to people's lives? How do we give our time? How, how do we invest in our families in ways and give ourselves to our families and to our friendships and to our education and our job environments? How do we give ourselves into those places, in those opportunities, in ways that that are generous and liberal with ourselves in a way that bring transforming power. How do we, again, if we become the essence of God, we don't become just receivers of the generosity. We become conveyors of the generosity. We don't just become receivers of the generosity. We literally become the generosity. How do we and would we just receive it, but then would we be willing to say, oh, wait, okay, you know, how am I living that? Who around me is 
Who around me's life is being transformed because of all the forms of generosity that God is expressing through my life? Christmas begins with God's generosity that has transforming power. And listen, at the end of the day, Christmas keeps going because of God's generosity that brings transforming power to your life and through your life. Would you take it? Would you give it? Would you take it? Would you give it? We should bow your heads, close your eyes. I just want to pray on it for a second. Maybe you just let those questions linger in your mind and in your spirit this morning. And maybe you just invite the Holy Spirit for a moment just to acquaint you or reacquaint you with the generosity of God's love, the reality that God is the transformer. God's, God's desire for you is so good. God's desire for you is to strengthen you, to, to, re, to, to, to restore you to the image he made you in, to restore you to the relationship he created you to live in with him. That's God's motive. That's his, his, his desire. Maybe you'd ask the second question, just Holy Spirit, where are you trying to be generous through me? Where are you inviting me to be generous with my finances or with my stuff or with the things that I have or the, the gifts and skills that I have, the, the creativity I have, the relationships I have? Holy Spirit, where are you trying to just express? Where are you inviting me to be a part of the thrill, really the, the excitement and the adventure of expressing that generosity? Holy Spirit, I thank you that you make it clear, regardless, from the oldest of us to the youngest of us, you, you, you love us so much. And from the oldest of us to the youngest of us, you're, you're even right now so eager to express your generosity through us. God, thanks for your rem remarkable offer. I've done my, my best, hopefully, Holy Spirit, guided by you to to explain your generosity today, but I, but I fully convinced we're barely scratching the surface. It really does go beyond f the fullness of our vocabulary. We, we best experience you in ways that sometimes words can't capture. For some of us, that was earlier in our time together where we're in a moment of your healing or a moment of your direction, a moment of your compassion or your comfort. We just experienced your generosity that was made available by you giving your son to us. For some of us now, we're being prompted in a direction of where you're inviting us to be generous, some tangible, clear way. For all of it and everything in between, thanks. Thank you that your generosity has never been begrudging. It's never been with an attitude. It's never been motivated by anything other than your love for us. Thanks for giving your one and only son that could save us and son that could change us. Love you for it. Love you back. We really do love you back. Jesus, we pray these things in your name and in your presence and the gift of your essence and being. Amen. Amen, church. Amen.